everybody. How you doing? And welcome to another episode of the John Riley Project. Why we're coming at you. Another podcast episode. Really nice to see you all. Thanks for joining me today. You know, today we're going to get into a lot of stuff. You know, I'm, I'm titling this podcast episode, The Great Replacement Theory versus the pursuit of happiness. And we're going to, we're going to kind of break down this, this whole topic of the great replacement theory that's been brought up in the news with the Buffalo shooter. Then I'm going to spend a little time on the back and forth that I think is really interesting between President Biden and Amazon founder Jeff Bezos. And there's been some interesting little bit of a Twitter zingers going back and forth. Lots of good opportunity to talk about inflation and a few other things. And then finally, um, we, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about this baby formula crisis. I'm not sure if you're aware of it, but we're going to break that down. So that's kind of our game plan for today. You know, we're live streaming on both Facebook and on YouTube. That means we welcome your thoughts and comments. Feel free to type them in into the, into the message section or to the chat section on Facebook or YouTube. They'll show up on my screen. I'll read your questions and comments on the air and we'll make this a little bit of a dialogue, have a little fun with it and Let's just enjoy our Wednesday, man. It's hump day. Welcome. So thanks for joining us. So, um, you know, one of the things I always talk about, if you're a frequent listener or, or viewer of this podcast, is that I like to talk about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And to me, those are, you know, really core values of, you know, sort of like a moral set of values that America was built upon. And I think there's a lot we can learn from that. And a lot of things that I talk about on this podcast, I look through that prism, through that lens of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. But so often we find that there are barriers that prevent us from pursuing our happiness. Sometimes they're self-imposed, Sometimes there are barriers created by others or created by authorities, and I just want to work on identifying those barriers, removing those barriers, so that we can have kind of a clear lane uh, in, in our pursuit of happiness. And that's what a lot of what we're going to be talking about today is about, is about that notion of clearing space so we can pursue our happiness. So um, as I'm getting into this... Um, let's let's kind of go into the great replacement theory first. And I think this is a really important topic to, to discuss because, you know, with the whole Buffalo shooter incident that just happened um, a number of days ago, tragic incident, a young man went into a grocery store in Buffalo, New York, shot and killed a number of people, um, had a manifesto and was clearly race driven. He talked in his manifesto, he talked about, this concept of the great replacement theory. Um, and it's this, it's this conspiracy theory is what it is. And it's really just based on racism. It's based on fear. It's based on fearing um, the people that maybe are not like you, kind of fearing of the other. There's a fear by some people in the society that there are immigrants coming that have that look different, that have different skin color, that speak different languages that are coming here to essentially replace a lot of white Americans, um, replace them in the voter rolls and ultimately um, essentially take over the culture. And that's kind of this notion that we're seeing from a lot of folks that, frankly, are kind of white supremacists. And, and it manifests itself in a number of different kinds of um, you know, sort of political policies like the the southern border wall is a way to keep <laughs> these these other people at bay, keep them out of America. Um, you know, we we saw travel bans with President Trump. You know, remember he said, "I Donald Trump, J Trump, do hereby ban all." Muslims from the United States of America until we can figure out what in the hell is going on. <laughs> that was his that was like his his statement before the press. So there's this big notion of wanting to block people from coming into the United States and even crazy rhetoric like people referring to immigrants as invaders. So this is all kind of captured in this idea of this great replacement theory and you know, here I'm. I'm a. I'm a, a proponent of this idea of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And I'm. I'm hearing this rhetoric, and I'm thinking to myself, what is happening to some of the people in the United States of America that have lost sight of what America is truly supposed to be about? 
I mean, we can go back to, you know, our, you know, not just our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, but the notion that we're all created equal, that this is a place where we all have equal rights. We all have equal liberties. But still, there is huge resistance. And the crazy part of this is, is that on one hand, the, the right-wing folks are critical of, or, you know, are not really critical, but they're, they're embracing this idea of the great replacement theory, at least some of them on the conspiracy on the right-wing fringe. But then our friends on the left who are on one hand condemning the racists on the right, but on the other hand, they're almost gleefully happy that there's a great replacement occurring. Yeah, I mean, I've seen a lot of rhetoric where people will say, well, you know, whites will no longer be the majority and you guys have been the majority too long. And and I, I'm hearing this rhetoric and I'm thinking to myself, this is like collectivism run amok. This is groupthink run amok where people are seeing groups, right wing, left wing. They're seeing whites and non-whites. They're seeing Americans and non-Americans and really failing to understand that we all are individuals and we're all different and we all have something to offer in this world. And oh, by the way, here in America, all individuals have equal rights. And so when I see people talking about great replacement theory, it just strikes me as though they've forgotten what the United States of America is really supposed to be all about. I mean, this is a nation that welcomed in people fleeing religious persecution um, and and also wanting to have their own you know sort of self-rule you know, when they came here and settled in New England then there were people from all over the world that emigrated here to the United States um, but yet people are forgetting that history I mean so when I, I think of great replacement theory I mean I just need to say it this clearly because it's so important just to say it it's evil it's immoral. And it's, it's collectivism, this idea of seeing groups as more important than individuals, that's ultimately tearing this nation apart. And it doesn't have to be that way. I mean, I consider like my own family, and I've commented on this before, my own family came to the United States in the latter part of the 19th century, like in that time frame between 1800 and, and, the, and excuse me, 1880 and 1900. They, they fled from Southern Ireland, the extreme south of Ireland, County Cork, and they were poor and they were just seeking opportunity. They saw America as this land of hope, this land where they could seek their own or they can pursue their own happiness, where they could have a job and prosper and live a more enriching and fulfilling life. And people like my ancestors came from all over the world. So my ancestors came from the southern part of Ireland. They landed in New York. They eventually worked their way over to Butte, Montana, where they worked in the copper mines. My wife and I just went up there and visited about two or three years ago. And I walked, you know, sort of retraced the steps of my, my, my ancestors there in Butte, which some have called like the, the largest Irish city in America. It's kind of cool. It's a pretty interesting history there. And then my family eventually emigrated to San Francisco, and then I worked my way to San Diego when I came here to go to college. But that's just the natural course of action. You know, families move in, people move in, and multiple generations become more and more assimilated in society. And this is not, this is not just true of Europeans, but it's true of people from all over the world. Um, so... My, my ancestors embraced this idea of having liberty in America so they can live a more fulfilling life, ultimately pursuing their happiness. Why can't everyone really understand that? And rather, when we see immigrants coming to America, their, their objective isn't to replace us. Their objective is to seek the same things that we have been seeking opportunity, quality of life, and ultimately happiness. So, um, you know, one of the things like Ronald Reagan, an interesting president, he would often comment that we should see America as the shining city on the hill. 
Now, you know, Reagan certainly was not my my favorite president. I mean, there's plenty of, of him to criticize, but I really like that idea um, of America as this example, America as this place where people aspire to be, a place where other nations maybe want to replicate, but in other cases, a nation where people from all over the world want to come and participate in what America offers. And in, and in fact, to achieve the American dream. Now, you know, I was, it's interesting, just this morning, um, I was watching the cable news. I usually have it on in the background. And it was like, I think it was on MSNBC, and they were talking about the American dream. And I know there's a lot of people that think that it's unattainable, that we're all kind of locked into our strata, where we, you know, whatever class in society we are, it's, it's harder and harder to escape. But you know what? When immigrants come to America, they achieve tremendous success relative to how, let's just say, uh, multi-generational Americans have been. When you look at CEOs or founders of Fortune 500 companies, I think about almost half of them are either immigrants or children of immigrants. When we look at people that are millionaires, that have over a million dollars in net worth, a huge percentage of them are either immigrants or children of immigrants. In many ways, people that have come to America understand it better than what multi-generational Americans believe about their own nation. Immigrants get it. They understand that this is a nation where they can do things that they were unable to do in their other na- in their home nations. They're able here to, to come here and start a business and to prosper and thrive and provide a great place to raise a family and build wealth. And that's a great thing. Um, so this idea, I mean, the idea of this great replacement theory just by saying it's just it's racist or it's a right wing conspiracy theory, and that's true, but it's it, the problem is so much deeper than that. The issue is is that it's ultimately a collectivist way of looking at things, where it's one group against another group, one group trying to keep another group down, and it's failing to see any of us as individuals. And further, it's an abdication, kind of a an irresponsible, um, an irresponsible ignorance of what this nation is supposed to be about. These so-called patriots that believe in America and believe in freedom and the red, white, and blue and the stars and stripes sometimes really forget that this nation is a nation of immigrants. And it's continuing to be a nation of immigrants. I mean, oh, my God. I mean, one of the things that I do in my, my you know, day job is I own a marketing agency. And I do a lot of work with uh, databases and mailing lists. And one of the things that I do for some of my customers is I do uh, marketing campaigns that target new homeowners. You know, so when someone buys a house and the deed is filed with the county assessor, well, that data is, is public record. And there are marketing companies that gather that data and then provide it to agencies like myself. And then we send out like direct mail pieces to people that have just bought homes, which by the way, makes a lot of sense, right? Because these are people, you move into a house and you typically are going to be buying a lot of things for your house, furniture, hardware, maybe even doing major remodels of your home. I mean, you know, new homeowners are a great market for a lot of retailers and for for construction companies. But the point I'm getting at is, is that every week I, I see the list of new homeowners in San Diego County. And it's like, you know, depending on the week, it can be as low as 400, but sometimes as high as about 700 a week of houses or condominiums that have closed. It's amazing how many of those names are what I'll call ethnic names, for lack of a better term. Um, there aren't very many um, 
Jack and Jill Davises in that list. There aren't very many William Smiths in that list. There aren't very many John Rileys in that list. There's a lot of names that are clearly from different cultures, different ethnicities. These are immigrants. These are children of immigrants that have come to America to seek opportunity to pursue happiness, and they're doing it. And they're not getting dragged down by a lot of this nonsense. So, I mean, I just think it's great when I see that. When I see that, I think it's a wonderful thing that people are coming to this nation and prospering. It's just so damn concerning when other people condemn it. Um, People invoking things like great replacement theory and certainly using it as 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 a justification for a mass shooting is insane. And this is where I think a lot of we need a lot more leadership, better education, even almost an embracement of a national philosophy to overcome once and for all this ridiculous evil racism and these ridiculous evil mass shootings. And in my opinion, we've got the formula. We've got the secret sauce. It's baked in to what America is all about. A land of freedom, a land of liberty, a shining city on the hill, a a land where we are all created equal. We all have equal rights and we all have the right to our own life, the right of liberty to choose how to live our life according to our values and ultimately the right to pursue happiness. I just wish more people would see this. So it's crazy. Um, What do you think? Let me know um, in the live stream. You can feel free to you know, post your comments on the messaging section in Facebook or YouTube. Or you can visit my website. Go to johnreillyproject.com if you want to get more information on this podcast and a lot of the other things that I'm working on. Um, if you'd like to donate to this cause, you feel free to do that. You can leave a, a small contribution, $2, $5. You could leave a monthly contribution. whatever you feel like. That's kind of helps support this cause. But I've also got all our podcast episodes there, all our social media links, blogs, and uh, lots of other things. Some merchandise, like right here, this is the John Riley Project coffee mug. That's available on the website as well. So, you know, feel free to check it out, johnreillyproject.com. Okay, moving along to our next topic. And this is... An amazing exchange. And, you know, um, President Biden issued a tweet and it set off a firestorm of commentary. And and it's really interesting. Again, it all comes back to what we're talking about here in the broader theme of this podcast. But President Biden had a tweet and he says, you want to bring down inflation? Question mark. Let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. And I mean, I saw this originally. I was like, what? That doesn't make any sense. Well, I wasn't alone. Jeff Bezos responded to him. Jeff Bezos, of course, the founder of Amazon. I don't think he's the CEO anymore, but he's the founder of Amazon. And he responded and he said, the newly created disinformation board should review this tweet. Or maybe they need to uh, form a new non-sequitur board instead. Raising corporate taxes is fine to discuss. Taming inflation is critical to discuss. Mushing them together is just misdirection. (laughs) Okay, so let's, let's break all this down. All right. Obviously, there's massive inflation going on all across the economy. I mean, we've been experiencing significant inflation in certain categories of the economy, housing, healthcare, college tuition. That's been uh, inflating for, one could argue, for decades. Interestingly enough, those are three industries that are heavily regulated by the federal government, healthcare, housing, and education. But then as we got into this whole COVID crisis, 
this inflation was a completely self-inflicted wound by the federal government and by state and local government. I mean, sure, there was, there was a virus, there's a pandemic, and there needs to be appropriate response. No question about it. There needs to be um, leaders that are calling for, you know, in some cases, masks, in some cases, social distancing. But it wasn't just simply going up there and, and providing really sound advice and leadership and then ultimately letting people choose, you know, liberty. No, what they did is they shut down parts of the economy. They shut down parts of the economy where there was limits on production, kicking people out of jobs as a result, causing these massive distortions in the economy. Then suddenly there's no production. Then there's less supply. Then suddenly they open up the economy again, particularly after dropping $6 trillion of money out of helicopters to land in the laps of corporations and individuals in the form of COVID relief or COVID stimulus because they shut it down, and has since caused this huge surge in demand. And what happens when there's a surge in demand and a reduction in supply? Well, obviously, prices are going up. That's what's going on. And the crazy thing is, and I meant to actually cue up this clip, and I didn't do it prior to the podcast, but there was a really great clip, and it's with, um, you know, President Biden has a new press secretary, and her name's Kareen, was it Kareen Jean-Pierre? And she took over for Jen Psaki. And she's a, you know, sharp lady. I've seen her before on the news. And she was at one of her first press conferences and one of the reporters brought up President Biden's tweet and read it back to her and said, you know, you want to bring down inflation. Let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. What did he mean by that? And it was comical to watch this new press secretary try to respond. And she ended up just completely babbling bringing up all kinds of irrelevant talking points and ultimately not answering the question. So when Bezos said the newly criticized disinformation board should review that tweet, he's absolutely right. Well, first of all, there shouldn't be a disinformation board in the first place, but there is. And, but, but actually I just heard today that they're putting it on pause, whatever that means. But, this is a land of <laughs> this is a land we're supposed to have free speech. We shouldn't have the federal government analyzing and policing speech. Oh my God. But then on top of it, who, who's the greatest source of a lot of this misinformation? It's the federal government. It's these government officials that mislead us, that lie to us. And yet, sadly, a lot of them get reelected. But it, it, to me, this is unbelievable. And then on top of it, when President Biden was elected, now, first of all, I think Biden was largely elected because he is a, was the most viable candidate, I think, to beat Trump. Biden in and of himself, I don't know if there's a lot of Biden lovers. Maybe some people have warmed up to him since then. But they thought he was more mainstream. He wasn't Bernie. He wasn't Bernie Sanders. He was not a lefty, a, a really kind of way out on the edge. He was more of a, what we'll call a corporate Democrat, a more mainstream Democrat, a moderate Democrat. And that's why a lot of people supported him and still do. But this tweet where he says, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. This is like a tweet that was lifted from Bernie Sanders. And it's just nonsense. I mean, first of all, what is fair share? Has anyone ever defined that? It's purposely undefined. It's purposely undefined because then it becomes a political weapon that can be used to go after whomever you want to go after and demand that they pay more just because they're not paying their fair share. But what is your, I mean, what is fair? Really? I mean, what is fair? And then, frankly, what is your share? Never defined. But corp increasing corporate taxes isn't going to solve inflation. Inflation is mostly a monetary policy. It's dropping $6 trillion of freshly printed dollar bills out of helicopters. 
I exaggerate, but I think you get the point. Inflation is something that was created by the Federal Reserve. I mean, they, you should, I remember watching a, a segment on 60 Minutes when they talked about this in the early days of COVID. They said, we learned our lesson from the Great Recession, you know, 10, 12 years ago. This time, we're just going to flood the market with cash. That's what they intended to do. They said it right from the beginning, and they did it. And then people said, well, we never saw inflation coming. I mean, where in the hell have you been? Of course, inflation is the result of the monetary policy. And then what, was, what happened to the money? It ends up being doled out as political favors, targeting certain corporations. Remember, President Trump had a slush fund of a half a trillion dollars that he could give out indiscriminately to whomever he wished. Sometimes I wonder if this was all a scheme. <laughs> I don't know. I should stay clear of that. But still, I mean, this is insane. And making corporations pay a higher tax rate doesn't change, doesn't change inflation one iota. I mean, really, corporations should not pay any tax, any income tax. And granted, corporations do pay taxes. They pay sales taxes. They pay um, gas taxes, you know, assuming they have cars that drive on the roads. They're paying for the roads. But, you know, like I own an S corporation. An S corporation is what they call a pass-through corporation. So when I, at the end of the year, I look at my revenue and my expenses and my bottom line profit. And I don't, they don't tax my bottom line profit as a corporate tax. Instead, that money flows into me as the primary shareholder, as the only shareholder. And then I'm taxed for it at the, at the individual rate. That's how it should be. When you increase taxes on corporations, where in the hell do they think that money comes from? Just comes from customers. That's where the dollars actually come into, into corporations. They get it from their customers. So customers are paying for it. And then indirectly, employees are paying for it in the form of lower wages. So it's just, it's, this is, this was, I said earlier, this is divisiveness of using pay your fair share to divide the rich from the non-rich, the corporations from the non-corporations. And it's wrong. I mean, it's, it's economically wrong. And it's morally wrong. And it's disinformation because it has nothing to do with inflation. So, I mean, to me, a lot of this is manipulation is what it is. And I think it's important that we see through this. Because there are people out there that are trying to influence you. That are trying to distort reality into whatever form of reality they want it to be. But we need to challenge these people on these types of issues. Remember the whole idea of questioning authority, right? I remember I used to see my friends on the left, my liberal friends, love to wear that shirt 20, 30 years ago. Not so much anymore. Um, We need to question authority. These people are elected to protect our freedoms protect our liberty, protect our right to pursue our happiness. But when they, when they offer up a lot of this noise, this nonsense, it's ultimately destructive. It's disinformation. And ultimately, it's important to understand that this mess of inflation isn't going to be solved by some silver bullet, some magic bullet of taxing corporations. It's going to be a bitch to get out of this inflationary problem. Just like it was difficult to get out of inflation, or actually we had stagflation back in the late 70s and early 80s. Inflation is painful to get out of. Interest rates go up. The economy slows down. There's less cash chasing products to buy. There's more of an encouragement to save and to and to and more of an encouragement to invest in production rather than this kind of keynesian idea of just constantly trying to fan the flames of demand and consumption 
So anyways, I know we're, we're going to be stuck with this inflationary problem for a long time. I mean, markets are so heavily distorted and we're going to talk about the baby formula thing in just a minute. But I, we're, we're not going to see a so-called re- resolution of inflation for at least a couple of years. I mean, right now, the like the automobile market is so whacked out. I God, I did a podcast about a few months ago because I was out looking for a new electric vehicle. There was one 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 EV that I was really interested in. It was uh, it's the Kia EV6. Actually, a very nice electric vehicle. It's kind of the sister car of the Hyundai Ioniq Five. That car had a retail price of around fifty thousand. You know, depending on the trim model you got, maybe plus or minus like four or five grand. They were asking $15,000 over manufacturer's suggested retail price. Now, some people freak out. Oh, my God, this is price gouging. Well, you know what? Businesses are simply reacting to the economic circumstances that exist. There are very few cars being made. I mean, relative to production levels prior to the pandemic. And so there's less products being made. And as a result, there's greater demand and then price goes up. Unless it's prevented from going up, which we'll talk about in a second with baby formula. Um, It's going to be a bitch to get out of this inflationary problem. And what's the answer? I mean, ultimately, it's going to be pain. Um, Our governor, uh, Gavin Newsom, what did he do? He's he's raising the the state minimum wage by fifty cents an hour. Well, I mean that's going to offer some temporary relief to those workers, no doubt about it. Relief in the face of inflation that they're experiencing and they're suffering from. But it's just going to increase the overall cost of labor, and so labor continues to inflate, and then the further distortions occur. There's no easy way out of this. And so when I see President Biden issuing a tweet, you want to bring down inflation, let's make sure the wealthiest corporations pay their fair share. Oh, my God. What do you think? Let me know your thoughts on the live stream. You can type them in on Facebook or YouTube. I'll read them here on the air and we can chat further. Yeah, I mean, you know, this podcast all about life, liberty and the pursuit of happiness When there is this kind of misdirection, this sort of distortion of reality going on around you, I mean, these are the kind of roadblocks that exist that get in the way of pursuing happiness. I mean, that's inflation sucks. Inflation gets in the way of the pursuit of happiness. And these things need to be called out for what they are. Okay. Where are we on this? Hey, by the way, if you want to continue the conversation, go to my uh, website. I have another page on my website. It's connectwithjohnny.com. If you go to connectwithjohnny.com, there you can, you know, connect with me on Twitter. I'm always on Twitter. Um, You can leave some comments here on the YouTube channel. Um, I'm on Facebook quite a bit, probably not as much as I used to be. But anyways, all the social media links are there. If you want to, you know, continue the discussion, Call me out on something. Feel free to. I welcome your thoughts and comments. Go to connectwithjohnny.com. Okay, we're rolling. This is kind of a short podcast episode. I haven't, you know, a couple of my friends are saying, John, where have you been? You okay? <laughs> and yeah, I've been okay. It's just, you know, sometimes, you know, life, you get busy and customers and family and other issues. So I'm happy to be here today with you. I really am. I'll tell you what, when I'm doing my thing, you know, working in my business, working on other aspects of my life. This podcast is something I really value. It's a fun project. It's a fun opportunity to express myself. It's a fun opportunity for me to share valuable information. It's a fun opportunity to invite your participation. I mean, this podcast for me is just a really great project. If I had a magic wand, I could wave it. And I had unlimited time and money. I'd be doing this full time. Um, Still trying to figure out ways to monetize this. I'm getting closer. Um, Getting closer on this. I have another website. It's called happiness76.com. 
Um, and right now I've kind of got some merch up there, some T-shirts and coffee mugs. And I'm going to try to be building that out. Essentially, it's a it's an e-commerce store that sells gear that celebrates our inalienable rights of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. It's happiness76.com. So I'm just kind of getting started with it. Um, I'm, and we've already had, you know, we've had some modest sales. We're getting a little bit of growth, getting a little something going on. But it's kind of a fun entrepreneurial experiment. So I welcome you to go visit happiness76.com. Okay, um, 35 minutes in. We're going to definitely be under an hour today, which is good. Some of my podcasts have been too long. My, my last podcast, did you watch it or listen to it? The one with Pete Murray? Wow. That was almost four hours long. Oh, my God. Uh, Pete Murray was fantastic. Pete Murray's running for judge here in San Diego County. He's my neighbor. Um, he lives, I don't know, I could probably pick up a ball and a baseball bat and launch it. And I might be able to get it over to his front yard if I hit it really well. Um, Pete's a good guy. He's running for judge. And boy, we covered a lot of territory in our last podcast, all about criminal justice and the challenges in the system and a lot of his experience. And he's, you know, the, the people are voting right now. And he actually, I think, has a pretty good chance to win. He's getting you know, a lot of really good endorsements. He's got way more experience than a lot of his other, um, cont- his, his competitors, but boy, we had a four hour long podcast. <laughs> and so I actually, if you go on my YouTube channel, I broke it into 17 individual little nuggets that are between like three and five minutes long that make it way easier to digest. So I welcome you to go check that out on my YouTube channel, John Riley Project. But this podcast, yeah, we'll definitely be under an hour. Um, Okay, Yuri Bolin on the live stream. And here's what Yuri has to say. When I wrote about the 50 cent wage increase hurts more people than it helps on South and North Poway vote, I got chastised and some blamed corporate America and every other topic. You know, I saw that conversation, Yuri. Okay, this is a little bit of a kind of local conversation here in my hometown of Poway, California. And... um yeah, I mean, this we're talking about Gavin Newsom. You know, he raised in the minimum wage by 50 cents. It's now going to be 15.50 an hour. And there's a lot of people that are overjoyed by this. You know, they want the minimum wage to go higher and higher and higher and they believe that people working people deserve that higher minimum wage and I understand where they're coming from. Some of them are bitter and angry because CEOs are making gazillions of dollars and somehow some way people don't seem to complain about that. Well, actually a lot of people do. Um, now in the whole scheme of things is 50 cents an hour going to make that big of a difference overall on our economy? Not really. Uh, is it going to make a big difference in people's paychecks? Well, I mean, if you work 40 hours a week at minimum wage, you're going to get an extra 20 bucks a week. Okay. That's something, but it's not like huge money. Um, but yeah, I mean, you know, you or you were making the comment, it's going to make everything else more expensive. And it will indirectly, I think. Some products won't go up in price because of competition, but other products will. I think the concern, with my opinion, the concern with the minimum wage going up is that it creates a larger and larger kind of subclass of people, people living in the shadows that don't work at all because they don't have the skills and experience to justify a minimum wage of $15 and 50 cents. So I think a lot of times people have this altruistic, good natured notion of raising the minimum wage to help the poor. But in a lot of ways it harms the poor. And I don't know if they really realize that Um, at any rate. Uh, And then Pete Neal, the Dow is down 1,164 just today. Yeah. The stock market's crazy. It's volatile. Um, It's nuts. I mean, What's happened is, is like what I was saying earlier, all these distortions in the economy because of all this COVID policy. And and by the way, if you look at the end result, the rich are massively richer and the poor and middle class are dealing with this ugly inflation that's just eroding the value of the dollar bill in our pocket and and making everything more challenging. So let's talk a little bit more about these distortions and let's talk about this baby formula thing. Now, I know this has been in the news a lot. I think more of the right wingers are upset about baby formula. And, oh, my God. But I want to go deeper on this because I think it's important that we understand it's a perfect example 
of the distortions that are going on in the economy. And I want to also first, I want to just mention this gentleman's name. His name is Scott Linsicum. And he has a sub stack and it's called capitalism, but capitalism with an O like C-A-P-I-T-O-L, like the building or the state capital, capitalism. And he had a great Substack article. And what I'm about to do here is I want to summarize it because it's really important. So what's going on? Baby formula is largely out of stock. I mean, you go to, especially in certain states, there's like no baby formula on the shelves. Um, now, I haven't gone shopping for baby formula in a long time. My youngest child is 22. But when we were raising our children, I can't tell you how often, I mean, we were going to the Walmart here in Poway all the time to stock up on baby formula. Um, and it was critical to, you know, the nutrition of our children. It was a critical, it was a, it was a life or death matter to make sure that we had baby formula. And so we went out and made sure we had baby formula. But back then, 22 years ago, you know, th- there was no problem with supply. There was plenty of supply. And, you know, the demand was roughly stable. I mean, you know, the, the birth rates, generally speaking, mostly stable. Well, you can argue slight decline, but mostly stable. And so producers of baby formula kind of had certain expectations of the market and the market was more or less running efficiently. And it worked. And then all hell went sideways with COVID. Okay. Um, Pete Neal on the live stream. Stater Brothers has baby formula locked up alongside the cigarettes and other, quote, managed products. Yeah, probably like all the, you know, the, um, the spray cans of paint and everything else. Yeah, I mean, people are hoarding baby formula because there's a shortage. So what's going on? Let me lay this out. So nationwide... Uh, there's about a 40% reduction in supply of baby formula. And the, they're, they're blaming it primarily on one of the plants that makes baby formula had to be shut down because there was a recall on baby formula product because apparently they produced a certain amount of product and a num- like a very small number of children were harmed. I, I don't know how serious it was. Did they die? I'm, I don't know. But it was a handful of people. And the FDA got involved. They inspected it. They found some problems with the plant and they shut the plant down. And as a result, you know, there's only like really four primary baby formula suppliers, manufacturers in America. Only four. You think about almost everything in the the United States, there is, you know, so many competitors, always entrepreneurs trying to jockey in and gain market position, people innovating, people producing newer and better things. But somehow baby formula was this oddball industry. There were only four primary makers of it. And then when you shut down one of the major ones, oh my God, there's devastating uh, chaos to, you know, the supply chain. And people are pointing to that as well. They're saying, oh, it's COVID. You know, of course, when COVID hit, what did people do? Well, I know if when I was a young adult, a first-time father, and we were depending on formula, if what happened with COVID happened to me when I was that age, I'd be hoarding it like some people were trying to hoard toilet paper because it's a life or death matter. And so that's what people did. They hoarded it. And then when suddenly all these people have these stockpiles of Baby formula, kind of like how Elaine Bennis on Seinfeld had a whole closet full of the sponge. You know, people had like all this inventory of baby formula. And so what happened? Well, then less people bought baby formula because everyone had their own personal like warehouse of it. And so then that sent a signal in the marketplace to a lot of these baby formula uh, suppliers to kind of ratchet down their production. Because there was less need for it because everyone had like bought all the product that was on the shelf. And then what happens is when the economy comes back, then suddenly people have burned through a lot of that inventory. And now there's huge demand on the economy. And now a lot of these producers are having trouble producing it because they got to ramp back up. And oh, my God, you can't get employees. And, you know, there's all kinds of other distortions in the market and everything went to hell. 
can't find truck drivers to deliver the baby for him. Like we can go on and on. And then when you add on to it that there is a recall and you got to shut down one of the plants, then, oh, my God, of course, there's going to be huge disruption. But there's another interesting angle to this. It's not just COVID, um, you know, dis- distortions in the supply chain, but it's also COVID distortions in the birth rate. Because I think we saw that when COVID hit, less people were having babies. Makes sense, right? I mean, you don't want to give birth to a child in the middle of a pandemic. And at the same time, a lot of people are realizing like, oh, my God, those hospitals are getting really full. You know, so when it's time for me to have my baby, what am I going to do? So the birth rate went down. But then as we came out of the COVID crisis, suddenly the birth rate went up again, kind of back so-called to normal. And then there's more demand and there's less supply and like everything just kind of blew up. And then on top of it, you shut down the plant. So um, it's crazy. And it's made, it created panic, a desperate run on inventory. You even had family members out there hunting for it. You know, you got a mom in San Diego. She's calling her cousin in Tampa, Florida. Hey, can you get some baby formula? Go over to your supermarket and pick up a case of it and ship it back to me by UPS. Ship it back to me in San Diego. There are even Facebook groups that exist that are all about, like, how do I get our hands on formula? And there are a lot of these underground markets to get product from foreign nations, from other people. And it set off this whole crazy, this crazy situation. Now, normally you would think, normally... In a free market, I'm all about life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. I'm a big believer in free markets. You know, a free market is where there's less interruption into commerce. There's no tariffs. The regulations are dramatically lower. In a free market, if there was a reduction in supply because a plant got shut down for whatever reason, then there would, of course, all the other competitors would start increasing supply. It would be natural. Because they would be taking advantage of the economic opportunity. And on top of it, if there was a reduction in supply because one of the plants was shut down, then there's, since there's less supply, the price goes up a bit. And when the price goes up, that's an incentive or a, a kind of a signal in the marketplace because pricing is always a signal. The, the pricing goes up, which is a signal to manufacturers to, hey, produce more because then you'll be rewarded for it. And then as more supply is is built up and inventory catches up, then the prices start to come back down because there's more competitive forces. Now, that's the way it's supposed to work in a free market, but that's not what happened. So what's going on? Well, there's a lot of really good formula that's being made in other countries around the world. In Germany, in the Netherlands, in Ireland. We talked about Ireland earlier. But there is a tariff on that as at least 14% tariff. And in some cases, it's higher. And that's if you can get it in. Um, there's a tariff. But on top of that, um, there are restrictions on the amount that you can bring in. Remember, remember NAFTA? Remember, you know, NAFTA was what invented by George H.W. Bush. It was signed into law by v- President Clinton. And then remember Gore was on Larry King debating it with Ross Perot. This is like back in the mid to late 90s. But um, remember Perot said, oh, you're going to see a giant sucking sound of all these jobs going down to Mexico. You know, on one level he's right. But the NAFTA, North American Free Trade Agreement, is what it stands for. But it's not free trade. That's like a misnomer. It's like the Patriot Act, which is not patriotic (laughs) at all. Um, The North American Free Trade Agreement – is a heavily influenced by American corporations, including the dairy industry in the United States. And there is a specific provision in NAFTA that discourages imports from Canada. Canada is limited on the amount of baby formula that they're legally allowed to import into the United States. Now, then on top of it, there are a lot of additional... FDA regulations that prevent a lot of product coming from like nations that we generally think of that are on par with America. Some might even say that the products that are made in Europe are better than what are made in America. We hear that all the time about the food industry in Europe. 
But there is baby formula being made in Germany, in the Netherlands, in Ireland, that they will not allow to come into America because of FDA regulations, mostly because the, the, the product is not labeled the correct way. And if you want to import baby formula from any of these European nations, then you have to apply for it and wait 90 days to get approved before you're allowed to start bringing it in. And then on top of it, you know, there's, there's all these limitations on being able to bring it in. And this is from Europe. I mean, we're not talking about bringing this in from a, a nation that maybe there's a lot less trust. But generally speaking, Americans are mostly trustful of European countries, European manufacturers. I mean, come on. <laughs> I mean, how many people drive European cars? So, but, but there's this so-called distrust and the FDA uses it as a way to regulate the market. But really what's happening is, is that the, the industry here at home benefits. If you make it harder to bring in competitive products, that just creates trade barriers and protectionism for the American companies. But there's only four. And when one of them goes down, you're screwed. And it gets more interesting because now there's all these people, you know, that are black market importing it. It's almost like the drug phenomenon. <laughs> you know, soon we'll probably be seeing these underground tunnels from Mexico to bring baby formula, not cocaine. But there is, there's literally like an underground kind of baby formula smuggling operations that go on. And every so often the FDA will seize baby formula as it's coming into a port of duty or that's what it called when it comes to it and when it's imported. It'll be seized, just like the DEA is seizing, you know, uh, cocaine or marijuana or or methamphetamine. They're seizing baby formula. Because apparently it doesn't meet the labeling requirements. Now, these are approved by like Germany's own version of the FDA that we would generally think would be on par. Why is this so hard to bring in? Now, this is now add this to this. This is where it gets really interesting. You might be saying, okay, then I understand you can't bring it in from Europe and you, and there's limits on how much you need to bring it in from Canada. But come on, this is the United States of America. Certainly there should be more American entrepreneurs that are manufacturing baby formula, but there's still only four. Why only four? It's like insulin. Why only three? But baby formula, why only four? Well, get this. Because, you know, the WIC program, it's one of the, you know, the, the long list of welfare programs by the federal government. It's for women, infants, and children, I think. And it provides a lot of assistance and help for um, low-income, you know, parents that, so they can get food and nutrition for their, their young children. And, you know, it sounds like a great program. And generally speaking, most people support it. And... The way this program works is, is that the federal government doesn't simply give like a welfare check or some kind of a voucher to a a pregnant mom or to an actual mom to help them buy um, the baby formula. What ends up happening is, is the federal government participates in the supply chain. The federal government negotiates contracts with these baby formula manufacturers at massively low prices, crazy low prices because they're for the public good, right? And they want to be able to provide this inexpensively to women and family in need. But they've they've negotiated the price so low that it's almost unprofitable to produce it. Now, these companies, what they do is they'll take that government contract, even though they might be losing money, but they end up making up for some of it in other ways by getting more of their product up on shelves in grocery stores, maybe getting credibility because they are one of the bigger suppliers of the WIC program. But then think about it. If you were an entrepreneur, let's say you said, oh, wow, there's a real opportunity here. There's only four competitors in the baby formula market, and they set up all these barriers to import it. Surely there should be a fifth. And boy, even if I could get just 5% of the market, that's a lot of money. And it's a recurring revenue stream because people are always having babies. Um, So this could be a great opportunity for an entrepreneur. But then they look at the market and they say, well, wait a minute, this doesn't make sense because there's one buyer that buys roughly half of the inventory. 
and has negotiated that down to such a low rate to make that segment of the business so unprofitable that now you're competing. You know, you really only have an opportunity to get involved in the other part of it. So the other part of the market, and it's going to be hard to break into that if you don't really have a lot of credibility from having the government contract in the first place. So the government's participation in actually buying and distributing formula creates more distortion and thus creates a disincentive for entrepreneurs to enter the market. And then you end up with a lot of these problems. Um, so th- this, this article, and I'll include the link in my show notes. It was from Tim. I want to say Tim Lincecum. He was the, the pitcher for the Giants. Remember him? The, what would they call him? The freak. Um, this long, lanky, skinny pitcher. Remember, he threw two no-hitters against the Padres. That was Tim Lincecum. The author of this article is Scott Lincecum. And um, I, I'll include a link to this um, on, on the show notes. But it's amazing to me because, again, it goes to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And that's always the theme. That's the common thread for everything I do in this podcast. If we're a nation that believes in liberty, okay, if we believe in liberty, then there should be a whole bunch of suppliers of baby formula in the market. There would be... And an incentive, not a disincentive, but an incentive for American manufacturers to create more, for, um, for new American entrepreneurs to enter the market. And there would certainly be an incentive to import product from Europe and Canada without restrictions. But they don't do that. And then instead, what they'll do is they'll blame corporations Although you're seeing the rhetoric now from politicians, they call them, oh, they're monopolies. They got a monopoly on this market, and that's not right. And we can't afford these monopolies because then they're going to price gouge us. And I'm thinking, you created the situation. (laughs) You created all these barriers that make it so much harder for entrepreneurs to get involved in the market. And then you go about blaming those corporations that are actually trying to produce more baby formula. You're preventing children from getting nutrition because of your political agenda or to satisfy your corporate donors from the dairy lobby. Again, I mean, in every one of these cases, like we could talk about the great replacement theory. We can talk about this, the whole concept of inflation that has come from COVID. We can talk about this baby formula was kind of an interesting example, but in all, all three of those cases, in all three of them, the people involved, particularly the leaders of this nation, and in some cases, some of the, um, some of the more conspiracy theorists, theorists when, especially when it comes to great replacement theory, they've all lost sight of what this nation is supposed to be about. This is a nation where we can seek opportunity the shining city on the hill where we can live the American dream, but yet there are people that put obstacles in front of us to prevent us from living the American dream. They create policies. They prevent us from getting access to food for our children. They create barriers that make it expensive to buy a house or to rent an apartment. They create all kinds of other conspiracy theories, racist theories, that have lost sight of the whole idea of America as a nation of immigrants and that we all have equal rights. And this needs to be fixed. This is one of the things, I mean, again, if I could wave a magic wand with my podcast and I realize, you know, I'm a little guy with my own little podcast here in Poway, but I'm of the belief, and I really mean this, is that if we can come together as a nation on a common philosophy. I think a lot of this division would break down. I think a lot of this hate would break down. And then the question is, is what's that philosophy? And we already have it. It's, it's right there in the Declaration of Independence. It's right there. And if we would go back 
to that to that philosophy, to that moral code that you should be able to live your life on your terms as long as you don't violate the rights of others. You should go out there and ambitiously pursue your happiness. We, we should celebrate that. But sadly, we create all these roadblocks that prevent people from doing it, and it's ridiculous. So I welcome your thoughts and comments. But I'll, I'll tell you what. I mean, you know, my podcast, it's, it's a lot of different things, right? I mean, in some ways, it's a community forum. I talk about some local things in my hometown of Poway, but I'm trying to branch out from that. We have um, great guests that have been on this podcast talking about a lot of really important issues in our community. Um, Again, we had Pete Murray here last time. He was great. Awesome. Four-hour podcast. (laughs) I invite you to listen to it, but go on my YouTube channel. I've broken up into about 17 separate chapters, three to five-minute segments on, on specific topics. But we have a really good conversation in this podcast. But sometimes I just got to say something. Sometimes I've got to get on my soapbox and I've got to just tell you the way I see it. And the way I see it is, is that our leaders are failing us in this country. And the media is distorting things in this country. And the economy has been so twisted particularly because of COVID, but even beyond that. that and, then, and then we get this rhetoric about, you know, with Biden, you know, wagging a finger at Bezos about paying your fair share to somehow, some way, bring down inflation, misinformation coming from the federal government itself. <laughs> it's crazy. Now, I'm, I'm really happy that misinformation board has now been put on pause mode. That's a good thing for those of us that celebrate free speech. But at any rate, I just felt compelled to share what I thought. Um, I want to come back at you again. Again, I told you, I I keep wanting to come back on Wednesday. Sometimes I don't have anything to say. But then I realize that I do have things to say (laughs) and that I'm saying them all the time. But I just, you know, I don't get organized and really get in front of my camera, in front of my microphone and say them. And I need to do a better job of that. So Wednesdays at 2, when I am saying things, this is when I'll do it. Wednesdays at 2, that'll be the live stream. And of course, um, welcome your thoughts and comments. If I'm doing this right, I'll be doing it more than just once a week. But right now, I'm happy just to be here today. So this is episode number 275 of the John Riley Project. we got 25 more to go till we hit 300. I encourage you to please subscribe, um, especially my YouTube channel. I, you know, I, I've doubled my YouTube subscribers in the last couple of months, which is great. I think I'm at around, I don't know, 475, something like that. If I can get my YouTube subscription rate up to 1,000, then it kind of opens up a lot of capabilities for me to monetize the podcast and you know, to, to do some creative things that I can't do until my audience is larger. So if you want to subscribe, please do subscribe on my YouTube channel, or you can subscribe on Apple Podcasts or any of the other podcast platforms. And I'll make this commitment to you. If you go to Apple Podcasts and leave a rating and review for me, you know, five stars if you think I deserve it, and write a little paragraph, a couple of sentences, tell me what you think of the podcast. If you leave a five-star review, I'll read it on the air and credit you and thank you on the air. If you do that for me, I'd really appreciate it. Um, Pete Neald on the live stream. I finally figured out the F, the Facebook delay compared to YouTube. It's the CC feature. Oh, the closed captioning? Yeah, it might be. Oh, Mike Devine is online here. Hey, Mike, good to see you. Um, or should I call you... What's your new name? Chuck Smith online. You have so many pseudonyms. Keep getting banned from all these Facebook groups. But at any rate, uh, Mike, good to see you. Um, Yuri and Pete, thank you for participating on the live stream. I'm going to hang it up. Going to get ready for the Padre game starting in 30 minutes against the Phillies. Go Padres and have a great day, friends. We'll see you later. Bye-bye. If you enjoyed today's show, do me a favor, subscribe and then share it with a friend or leave a rating and review on Apple Podcasts. Let's continue the conversation on social media. Go to connectwithjohnny.com to get links to our social media content, 
audio podcast platforms and to sign up for our mailing list. To be a guest, read my blog or get more information, please visit johnreillyproject.com to get started.